Welcome everyone to the sixth episode of the Northern Spin Podcast. My name is Michael Taylor and as always, I'm joined by my sparring partner, Chris McGuire. Hello, Chris. Uh, Grootsy, Michael. We got there. Um, now apparently, and I've only got your word for that, that was hello and how are you doing in Swiss German. And not only, listen to this, not only have we entered Apple's top 30 UK podcast in the category marked government, quite niche there, but we've done the same in Switzerland. Wow, so big in Switzerland. That wasn't a phrase I ever expected myself to say about anything I've ever been involved in. But that's, that's not the only bit of good news. We've also secured a sponsor. Tell us all about Oscar Technology. What do they do, Chris? Well, if you said to me, what are the biggest challenges facing this sector? I would say three words. I would say recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. And hopefully I say it with a bit more conviction than Liz Truss says, growth, growth, growth. <laughs> which is where Oscar Technology come in. Um, they, uh, they're headquartered in uh, Manchester. They've got offices around the world. And get this, Michael, you'll love this. CEO Andy Morell is born and bred in your hometown of Marple. Well, it just proves everything I've always said. All the best things come out of Marple, including the one road in and the one road out. So Oscar Technology, clearly a name that you can trust if you're hiring people for a tech business. Absolutely. Now, we've got a lot to discuss today, Michael, and we'll crack on. Yes. I should say, I need to damp state this, we're recording this episode on Monday morning, so there's a good chance the Conservatives will have performed three more U-turns <laughs> and appointed two more Chancellors by the time we're out on Wednesday. Yes, well, um, my specialist chosen subject on Mastermind is going to be British politics last Friday between <laughs> one and three, yeah. <laughs> of which quite a lot happened, didn't it? So where were you when all the news broke? Well, I was hosting an event in Warrington, um, and uh, it was at the Warrington Business Conference, and it was a, a really enjoyable event, and it was exactly when Kwasi Kwarteng was sacked. He was sacked, he sacked, was. sacked yeah. as Chancellor. And the first question from the audience, and you got some good questions from the audience, was, would you consider running to be Chancellor of the Exchequer? Now, Andy Carter, who is the MP for he's Warrington... He's a Tory, right? He's a Tory, yeah. yeah. He's a, he gave an emphatic no, I recorded it actually, and I made the point that there was no vacancy currently at number 11 Downing Street, at which point half a dozen people held up their mobile phones and said, there is now. <laughs> now, wow. so I looked at my mobile phone, Andy Carter grabbed his mobile phone to read the story. It was like a scene from the thick of it, and I think it summed up the wow. chaotic nature of what happened. Well, well done for dropping a cultural reference in there, Chris. The well, thick I, of it. I do my best. I do yeah. my best. I'm learning. I'm learning. And did you and did you watch In the Loop like I told no, you I haven't, to? I haven't watched it yet, but you oh, did okay. warn me there was a lot of language, bad language, and I need to be in the right frame of mind for that. So, so where we are now with Liz Truss, it's Monday morning. The Daily Mail front page is reporting, and we'll talk about that later as well, on the fact that there's likely to be what they call a coup or a putsch against Liz Truss to remove her from government. If she lasts until Thursday, she will have lasted as long as Brian Clough did as the manager of Leeds, one for the teenagers out there, yeah. 44 days. So we are into, as my mate Deck McHugh described it at the beginning, we are into Clough at Leeds territory here, aren't we? Yeah, the one thing about the Daily Mail is the Daily Mail went out on a limb and backed her and said, yeah. what a great budget, you know, back to the old days, et cetera, et cetera, when she came out with this, you know, ridiculous budget. Now she's gone full circle. She's rode back on the 45p tax rise yeah. after she said she wouldn't. And now the Daily Mail are basically exacting their revenge by doing a lot of negative stories as well. So you don't think she's going to last much longer? I can't see it. I just can't see it. And she seems to be getting worse with every day. Last Wednesday, Prime Minister's questions, she made the ludicrous assertion that there were going to be no spending cuts. And Keir Starmer was stopped in his tracks. He went, 
Let's just pause, reflect on that, and remember what she's told the House, because it's just not plausible. And then secondly, she then did that press conference on Friday that lasted eight minutes, where she scoured the room. She, she took a question from Harry Cole, who's literally written a book about her, from The Sun. She looked for The Telegraph, and then she reluctantly asked, had to go for questions from, uh, from non-client journalists, and she was desperately looking for somebody from the Daily Mail to give her a soft, easy question. You know, it's not like the Tory leadership election. She has to face the public, and she's quite palpably not up for it. And just as Clough did at Leeds, she trashed everybody else. You can almost imagine her going into those early meetings with Shaps, Sunak, Patel, and Javid, and saying, take all your medals, all your election wins, all your promises, and chuck them in the bin because you won them by cheating, just as Brian Clough did at Leeds. You see what I did there? He did, and yeah. actually, it was seamless, seamless. So I think she's shown incredible weakness. She's going to be forced out this week and it's been a total disaster and I don't see any way back for the, for the Tories from all of this. Well, that'll come as a surprise to our dear listeners, of course. But anyway, Chris, let's, let's, let, I'm really interested in the pulse of the nation and somewhere like Warrington, it's got two, seat, two parliamentary seats a Labour and a Conservative held one at the moment, both wafer-thin margins as well. It's one of those real bellwether uh, towns so tell me what was the what was the uh, the pulse of the meeting last week that you chaired? yeah it's so really it interesting it was the Warrington business conference we also had Sefton Central MP and he's also a shadow business minister uh, Bill Esterson was on um, it won't surprise you to learn that Charlotte Nichols who is the uh, MP for Warrington North she's a Labour MP she uh, she doesn't believe leveling up exists but what was striking is I asked the delegates there are about 140 people in the room cinema number nine they're just about to show a Halloween movie after that so there was a common theme there um, and and I asked the delegates in the room, I said, do you think levelling up exists? Out of 140 people, only three hands went up. Um, so the perception in the north, for sure, is that levelling up is dead and buried. Yeah, I had a similar experience speaking at an event myself this last week. Uh, I was a late standing, so my talk was basically about myself, <laughs> my, my life in 17 bylines, journalism and politics. Any name dropping? Um, well, it depends. I mean, they're all all real experienced big figures in the community of Marple. It was a Marple Pro Bus Club. 40 plus people, all retired, very experienced audience. And the best bit was the questions. Really, really incisive questions. Number one, why can't Keir Starmer answer the simple question, what is a woman? Why will no one confront the disaster that has been Brexit? Why would anybody, me included, go into politics? And what can we do about the spiteful influence on our society of the Daily Mail? Really good questions. Yeah, well, as you know, I spent 18 months at Daily Mail, but I think we'll pick up on that later. Yes, it shows, actually, frankly, sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so um, tell me a little bit more then about who, who else was on your panel, who chirped up, who, yeah, there who had things to say. Obviously, business people. Absolutely, absolutely. So there were MPs and business people. One of my favourite questions was directed at a panel made up of Charlotte Nichols, MP, Chris Shepherd, who is the CEO of a £4.6 billion recycling business, EMR, group uh, and Neil Warren business director of a forklift truck business called uh, Young Heinrich that's a 4.3 billion euro business wow, as well so these are big hitters anyway. big hitters yeah, yeah in Warrington yeah, probably the two biggest hitters in Warrington certainly EMR is as well now I'm paraphrasing the question slightly but essentially the panel was asked if they believed in nationalization now one comes to any surprise to know that uh, Charlotte Nichols believed in it but Chris Shepard 
Who Nationalisation of what? Well, just uh, main industries, some of the main industries, some of the main utility industries. Um, but I'm paraphrasing it. The question was, do you believe in nationalisation? You know, they didn't specify uh, which industries, but rail could be an obvious example. Now, Chris Shepard, who, who I mentioned before, is uh, in charge of EMR Group, the recycling business. Six foot five tall, six foot five inches tall. Huge man, very impressive. He said nationalised industries tended to be less efficient, in his opinion, um, and said the solution was for the private sector to run them properly but to stop taking out so much money out of the business. That, to me, was common sense. Okay. Did anyone talk about my personal bugbear of Brexit? Yeah, I thought about you when this question was asked, okay. and I thought, uh, I thought you'll like this, I thought. Neil Warren of uh, Young Heinrich, which is the forklift truck business, said Brexit had added £1 million to their bottom line in costs. Wow. It, it delayed the amount of time it takes for parts to arrive, because obviously they're German-owned, so a lot of stuff comes from uh, mainland Europe. They've just moved into a new site in Omega, which everyone in Warrington will know, or anyone who heads down the M62 will know. They've invested £20 million into that site, and they're biggest challenge recruitment right wow so that keeps copy, pro, cropping up time and time again absolutely absolutely which is probably the reason why oscar technology are sponsoring this hey. episode so chris tell me the so three mps on show bill esterson of course from sefton um how did they come across they must have given off very very different vibes labor seems very confident at the moment um, whereas the Conservatives really, really on the back foot. I, I, did, did that translate into the into the event? Well, itself? that was interesting because, yeah, Labour were sort of cock-a-hoop, but, but they're not complacent. They keep talking about not being complacent, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd expect the Conservatives to be a bit downbeat. And, and actually, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case. Andy Carter um, comes across really well. Now, in my opinion, and you'll disagree with me, Michael, because that's what happens, um, I think the only thing that can stop the Labour Party winning the next general election is if they spend all their time taking chunks out of the tour and not enough time talking about what they'll do if they're in government. Now, I made a point to Bill Esterson, who is the um, Shadow Minister for Business and Industrial uh, Strategy, uh, yeah, yeah. that during the last week's PMQ, he tweeted or retweeted 11 times. I know this because I went through his timeline. Um, well, uh, the point I'm making is that, you know, what they're doing is they're taking a lot of chunks out of the Tories, understandably, because the Tories give them lots of material as well. But what I want to hear the Labour Party talking about is what they're going to do for business. Now, he, he, made, a few, uh, he made a few statements, um, but he came out with this line that's used a lot by the Labour Party at the moment, that the, increase, that the increase in interest rates are going to pick people's mortgage rates up by an average of £500 a month. The first question from the audience was, where does that £500 come from? I thought that was a fair question. Esterson said he didn't know offhand, but he'd find out. Now, the point I'm making, Michael, yeah, yeah. the point I'm making, if political parties quote figures like this, they have to explain where they come from. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. You've got to be able to source the evidence that you're giving. I, it, it's not that difficult to find out where that figure came from. It was sourced by Money Facts, which is an independent um, arbiter of household budgets. It's been reported widely on Sky News, the BBC, and in the Financial Times. And I do think people hold Labour to an unfeasibly higher standard than they do the Conservatives. Just think Boris Johnson used to just trot out untruths almost as much as he did as, as he opened his mouth. Liz Truss was just making stuff up on the hoof. And when it comes down to actually showing some leadership and showing what Labour can do, again, at the risk of being Labourish, as you keep accusing me of being, I thought Johnny Reynolds, who's Bill Esterson's, who's Bill Esterson's boss, did really well on the Sunday morning rounds, on Sophie Ridge, on Laura Koonsberg's programme, and on ITV as well over the weekend. Labour has an industrial strategy to invest wisely where the country can be good, 
to be competitive and contribute to a greener, brighter future. I thought he articulated all of that really clearly to the point where the chairman of Tesco was on, the, on Laura Koonsberg's programme on Sunday where he's saying, literally, there is only one team on the pitch at the moment when it comes to having an economic plan for this country. So it's actually getting through to people, business leaders in particular, that Labour has got a plan and it's a credible plan. So, yeah, by all means, you know, pick Bill up on his not being able to source one fact there and then. But I think they're doing a good job of convincing people that they've actually got a plan for the economy. We're in a the world Tories now. haven't. The Tories are in fantasy land. We're in a world now whereby as soon as a politician says everything, there's a piece that comes out, fact checker, yeah. because people don't believe politicians, particularly the Tories at the moment, because obviously they're the government, but, but what politicians are saying. That's a, a sorry indictment of where we're at, but it's probably much needed. But you liked Charlotte Nicholl more than you uh, liked Bill Esterson, Absolutely. didn't you? What, 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 what did she do to impress you, Chris? I didn't, I didn't, listen, I didn't dislike Bill Esterson, but there was something that Charlotte Nicholl did that, um, that, that really set her apart from anybody else. So I need to set the scene slightly. I was speaking to her before, and she said to me, she said that she had a, a big love of podcasts, which clearly is Quite one right. of our great passions in life. And then she said this. I'm going to come to uh, Charlotte Nicholls, MP. Um, Charlotte, before we talk politics and we talk business as well um, we were chatting before about some of your interests you're a big podcast fan aren't you uh, i am it's my uh, guilty pleasure on the train and have you got a favorite podcast oh, i think it would uh, Northern Spin um, by your good self available on all good I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am so embarrassed by that, but uh, yes, you're right. Uh, Northern Spin available. Uh, my co-colleague as well, Michael Taylor, and myself host it. Available on Spotify and uh, also available on Apple and all good uh, platforms as well. Thank you very much, Charlotte. You can go now, Charlotte. We don't need you anymore. Thank you. Ah, fantastic. Completely unscripted. Yeah. I was taken aback by the uh, response to it, but uh, clearly a woman of impeccable taste. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Very good. good. So tell me, what this 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 Tory guy, Andy Carter? What was he like? He's a really small guy, actually. I set the scene that. Uh, no, why, I, why do you comment on people? No, because you, because you I mentioned like to, the other fellow was tall and this I like one's to, small. I like to paint a picture. You know, Andy Carter. You know, isn't the tallest guy in the world. Um, Probably, I don't know how relevant that is, but his stature was really impressive in terms of the way he came across. I'm trying to find a seamless link here and struggling. So he's articulate. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But the thing so, is... Well, that's, 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 that's table stakes. No, but here's the point. That's the minimum standard yes, that but, an MP should be. the point I'm making is that the Conservative Party, they allow the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg to do these media interviews. He comes across as not very, uh, very likeable, not very real, when they've got some really talented backbenchers like Andy Carter, who just talks sense. Now, you mentioned earlier about wafer-thin majorities. He's yeah. got a majority of just over 2,000 in 2019, only elected in 2019 after quite a successful business career. So I asked him, I said, uh, are you worried about losing your seat in the next general election? And he said, and yes. I, I know it's a bit trite, well, <laughs> he you said, yes, Chris, done. I'm really worried. He said, no, he said, actually, he said, and if I lose my seat, I lose my seat. My concern right now is to do what's best for my constituents, including getting an investment zone in Warrington. We're saying there's a lot of talk about investment zones. Yeah. Um, expressions of interest had to be submitted by midday on Friday. Um, but he just comes across, uh, certainly did in my interview, as a real person. And the interesting thing is afterwards, when I spoke to a number of the delegates, I said, who did you like? And remember, this is, well, Warrington's fairly labourish. You'd, you'd, uh, you'd have been much at home there. No, it's not. Yeah. You've, li you've literally just <laughs> said it's got a Tory MP. Uh, it's got a Tory 
Tory MP, it's always got a Labour MP. And this um, was a business which tends yeah, to yeah. be more Tory anyway. But a lot of the people in the room said they really liked him. He came across Fine. really well. Um, now, one of the things I would say, Michael, is that given Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's announcements over the weekend, the Northern Powerhouse project looks like it's not going to happen. The, in ra- my the view. Northern Powerhouse Rail. Northern Powerhouse Rail. Yeah, people could argue Northern Powerhouse isn't going to happen as well. But Northern Powerhouse Rail, do you think it's got a future? I think it's going to be a lot of things that are thrown on the funeral pyre of, of broken promises that the, that the Tories are heading into this week. We are, we are looking at deep, deep cuts to public spending. Jeremy Hunt said over the weekend, we will have some very difficult decisions ahead. Spending will not rise by as much as people would like. All government departments are going to have to find more efficiencies than they were planning to. And that's going to be pensions, transport, education, and the, let's face it, the NHS. I spent time in an NHS hospital again at the weekend. Nothing wrong with me, but we went to visit a friend of ours. And it's on its knees. The wards are crowded. The places are crumbling. And I don't know how much more pressure, in particular adult social care, the care of our elderly, is absolutely hanging by a thread. Local government finances, as I know, because I work for a local authority at the the moment, are in for a parlous. They're in a really parlous state. And I think we're heading for a really, really harsh winter. Well, what do you think? Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think I, I don't. Think, I don't see where the fat is in 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 the public sector that think, the government are going to cut. I think. Well, the problem is, is they've got to be seen to be doing the right things for the market. So I thought Jeremy Hunt actually came across really well, uh, and I but also because you like a good slick Tory, as you keep ne- demonstrating. No, but quasi, quasi, you know, <laughs> Daily, Mr. Daily Mail. No, no, I'm not Mr. Daily Mail, Mr. Labourish. But the point I'm making is that I mean, quasi quasi just didn't seem to grasp politics, and he didn't seem to grasp economics. You know, so he felt he could say whatever he wanted, and people would believe him because he spoke in a big, loud voice. Jeremy <laughs> Hunt showed a degree of, um, you know, he, he just came across as apologetic, uh, honest, not a word you associate with a lot of politicians. Now, I thought that was a move in the right direction. They've got to seen, they've got to be seen to be allaying the markets. We'll see what happens. We'll see yeah, what the markets will. do. And that, Michael, before the ding-ding goes for round one, is the end of our first part of this week's episode of Northern Spin. We'll be back after a short break. Ding-ding. Now, welcome back to Northern Spin Podcast. We have actually got a live audience here today. Our friends from What Media were so desperate to see us in action, Michael. They are here now. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot now by getting you to uh, lift the lid on what's happening in the Labour Party around MP selections. Yeah. Sam Tarry, deselected in Ilford South. You called it in about episode two. Ian Byrne in Liverpool West Derby could also be deselected, at least that's what the Liverpool Echo say, while the headline in the Northern Echo says, dozens of Sedgefield Labour members resign over stitch-up selection. So what's happening, Michael, and why is it so important to the North? Well, the, the process is, for every political party, is there isn't just a coronation. Nobody sits in their party head office and, and moves chess pieces around the board and says where people go. There's a process for selecting MPs everywhere. And under the previous leader, Jeremy Corbyn, um, a number of the selections resulted in, frankly, some pretty third-rate MPs being elected to Parliament. And and a lot of the processes were rigged. Now, you, you would hop, pull me up on that and say, how do I know that they were rigged? Well, they were. And you could equally argue that some of the processes now are being rigged. So the Labour National Executive Committee have to from the expressions of interest that people will submit when a shortlist, uh, when a process starts for a seat. So at the moment, 
we're absolutely in the thick of a battle for the neighbouring seat to where I live, which is High Peak in Derbyshire. And what has happened is the Labour NEC have announced that if anybody wants to become the Labour candidate for the vacant seat of High Peak, because it's a Conservative seat, anybody can apply to be the candidate and the Labour Party will then draw up a long list based on a very, very detailed application form that the candidates do. Labour have the opportunity in where there is not a sitting Labour MP to decide who that is. Where there is a sitting Labour MP, local parties can do what's called a trigger ballot, and that's what happened to Sam Tarry. Now, there was last time around, he got the seat for Ilford South after Mike Gapes left the Labour Party and formed the Independent Group for Change. And there was a battle then to take over from, from Mike Gapes. And Yaz Atwal, who was the leader of Red, Redbridge Council, was deemed to be an absolute shoo-in. But somebody made an allegation that he'd done something, uh, sexual impropriety, before the selection panel. So he was immediately, because that was such a serious cause for concern, he was excluded from it. The charges were completely trumped up. They're completely, they're completely ridiculous, weren't they? Yeah, and and so um, and and Yaz has now been completely exonerated. So local people felt that they had had Sam Tarry, who didn't even live in the area, lived in Brighton, had been a councillor somewhere else, was practically imposed on the seat because he was an ally of Jeremy Corbyn, and um, and, and that really hurt people. The same thing, uh, something quite similar happened in Sedgefield. You mentioned that. That was a conserv That was Tony Blair's old seat, it actually, was, yeah. Sedgefield. Um, they lost it to the Conservatives. The process has opened, and none of the local left-wing candidates have been selected for the long list. So the local uh, executive of the Labour Party resigned. So it, Oof, it, it that's sounds quite breathless. It does. does, it, does that sum it up to you? It Is does. That it does actually. Yeah. It does. And what it what it sort of suggests to me, and you might correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you normally do actually, but it seems to me like Keir Starmer wants to make sure that he wants his MPs to be of the right the right type he doesn't want militant mps would that be fair i think what he wants is a talented cohort of mps that will support his program of government should he get into government if it was a really marginal you know if labor had a majority of say 20 then the socialist campaign group which is about 30 at the moment they could effectively hold the labor party the parliamentary labor party to ransom and i think he wants to minimize the opportunities for that um, we've got a few Labour MPs who are currently sitting as independents, including Corbyn himself, and uh, and, and I think he wants to, uh, and Claudia Webb, who again, very similar circumstances to Sam Tarry, was effectively imposed on the Labour Party in Leicester, and she she's she got a criminal conviction, so she's in the wilderness. See, but Ian, Ian Byrne, Liverpool West Derby MP, mm. he's not of the same type as Sam Tarry, isn't he? Because Sam Tarry got into trouble for, you know, inventing policy on the picket line, didn't he? Um, but but Ian Byrne doesn't strike me as being of the same ilk no, as Sam Tarry. No, and to be fair, Andy Burnham's come out in, f uh, in support of Ian Byrne, so we'll have to see how that one plays out. There are, often, there, there are also little local issues going on, but the... You know, I was at Labour Party conferences. A few people I know really well who've been selected as Labour candidates for key target seats, both ones where Labour MPs are retiring, where Andrew Weston, who was the who is the leader of Trafford Council, he's got the nomination to succeed Kate Green as in Stretford and Ermston, Oliver Ryan, who's a councillor in Tameside, the econo the economy lead there until quite recently. He's got the nomination to be the next, hopefully, Labour MP for Burnley. 
Yeah, so, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a battle royal out there, Chris. Really good insight there, Michael. But uh, given your labourish tendencies, I didn't expect anything else. Now, we're now going to have a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get to the uh, really heart of the matter. We're going to talk about chippy tea, guacamole and your good friend Peter Mandelson in one sentence. I can hardly wait. Welcome back to our dear listeners and to our live audience. A quick question, Michael. Former Daily Mail editor Paul Dacre, somebody that you love, missed out last week, but Rosendale and Darwin MP and Tory chairman Jake Berry didn't. What, Michael, am I talking about? Well, you're talking about honours and the fact that Paul Dacre, the editor of the Daily Mail, didn't get a peerage, which he was widely tipped to receive, but Jake Berry is going to become Sir Jake Berry. So spot on, Michael. But now, there's, two, there's two slightly different things going on here, but go on, what were you going to say? Well... What do you think of the process of political leaders being able to nominate people for honours? Uh, I think it's open to corruption. I think um, the big difference, though, between a knighthood, which is basically just an honour, and a peerage. A peerage is next level because that person is effectively becoming a lawmaker. And what Boris Johnson wanted to do was give peerages to put into the House of Lords, Britain's second legislative chamber, people who are his political allies to support things like, you know, a hard Brexit. And I think that was deeply, deeply dangerous. I mean, I know that, you know, trade union leaders, um, business leaders, uh, former MPs, you know, they, they do enter the House of Lords because it's meant to be like a, an upper chamber of, you know, kind of wisdom and, and expertise. I, I get that purpose for it, but this was just attempting to rig it. And I think it's really, really horrible that someone like Dacre should be awarded with anything because I think he's been a terrible, corrosive influence on public life. I've literally never met the bloke, but you have as a former Daily Mail journalist, which clearly percolates through this podcast <laughs> with your no. love of slick Tories. No, no, no. As always, you're doing me a great disservice. Actually, before I answer that question, what I would say is obviously Keir Starmer nominated people as well and a uh, number of trade union people were Tom nominated. Watson, former Deputy yeah. Leader of the Labour Party, Absolutely. very controversially yeah, I, because I, of what he said about uh, Leon Britton. What, what, what I find, what I, find um, what I don't like is the idea, Jake Berry's 43, he's been an MP for like, I think, 12 years. So he's been given a knighthood, and I think, hang on a minute, you've been given a knighthood for effectively doing your job. He's now the chairman of the Conservative Party and getting lots of stick as well. Um, yeah, in Paul Dacre, listen, yeah, clearly you don't like the guy. You know, <laughs> no, you don't, you're I don't not like likely, what he's done. You're not likely to get a Christmas card from Paul Dacre, but I don't think you're on his Christmas card list and uh, vice versa. <laughs> no. Now, whatever you think about his politics, and you've made your position fairly clear, he is a formidable editor. I was there as a shifter. I was a freelance journalist for Go 18 on. months trying to get a contract. It took me 18 months to get off the contract the moment I handed him a notice in. Now, he knew his readership better than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, big female readership, so he had a section in there called female as well. And I used to work the night shifts and he'd be in there and what would happen is you had all the sub-editors uh, and you had the news desk and he would come out about six o'clock, seven o'clock, start looking at the, p- the pages uh, when the stories went on the page and he would make his position fairly clear. He used to wear blue shirts all the time and the story that went about Paul Dacre was that he'd put his hand at the back of his back and he would get so irate, his nails would dig in <laughs> to his back and you'd see blood. <laughs> I never saw it, so this might be a story that's not true, but I'm going to share it to you, Michael, and to our dear listeners as well. Now, there was, one, there was one day I remember, there was a really, really nice in-house lawyer, and she used to sit on the corner of the foreign desk. So once the foreign desk went home at the end of their shift, she would come in at about 7 o'clock and read all the pages and mark them up with any corrections that she thought were legally dodgy. And there was this one time she put all these red marks on a page and Paul Dacre went up to her and in a really brusque voice, she said, I don't pay you to take stuff out, I pay you to keep stuff in. 
And that, I thought, really, really summed up Paul Dacre. So I, I've, I have it on good authority from other people I've spoken to who've worked at the Daily Mail, that his frequent use of the worst word that you can use in the English language that starts with C yeah. um, was so prolific that they referred to his rants in the office as the vagina monologues. Yeah, uh, I, were, I, were you ever on the on no, the on no, the I never heard it. Like I never that. heard it. When you said he uses a c word a lot, I assumed you were going to say Chorley, which is the centre of the universe, um, but clearly not. No, I never heard that. And and actually, uh, the interesting thing is, is that I worked there, and it's, I should say, I worked there quite a long time ago now. Probably I got married in 1998, and uh, I got married when I was there actually. So that's when I worked there. It was a long time ago. The interesting thing is now though, is that anybody could get a job as a shifter and just have social media and record that sort of rant. So perhaps if there was social media about and people had iPhones back in the day, you would have seen some of this stuff and we wouldn't be relying on, you know, you know, tips and little no, bits of people, people would leak, leak um, some of his um, behaviours to things like Private Eye, yeah. which I've been reading since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that, then that's where, it, you know, a, a position has formed in my mind about how he conducts his newsroom. I don't disagree with you that he's that he puts together a very, very well put together successful newspaper. What I don't like is he's effectively built a wall around Middle England and said, this is you with your house, with your car, on your drive, th these are your kids, and all these other people on the other side of this wall, immigrants, scroungers, northerners, all the rest of it, they're on the outside and it'll absolutely monster them. So I used to, I used to review the newspapers on, on the BBC and I used to have two rules of thumb. One was if you put a question mark at the end of every front page headline on the Daily Mail on any day, the answer was invariably no. Yeah. And the other thing that I'd do, you said they've got a big female readership. My mum reads the Daily Mail and I absolutely berate her. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we try not to fall out about it, but I go, Mum, why do you read this rubbish? It, my, my other rule was the only good woman in the Daily Mail is an unhappy one. And then you look at all the stories through it and it's like Liz Hurley, my heartbreak. Mm. Catherine Zeta-Jones shows cellulite and it's... Oh, it's horrific. You sound like somebody who reads it quite a lot, actually. But yeah, act when I visit my mum. I agree. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, incidentally. My big objection for the Daily Mail is that they try and they try and get you. This is this is my interpretation. This is the Daily Mail. This is our interpretation of the news, and this is what we want you to believe. Um, Andrew Meyer actually uses that same quote that um, you know, in terms of putting a quotation mark, or a question mark at the end of every sentence. Is this the worst house in Britain? No, it's not. You know, yeah, is this yeah, the most yeah, evil cool. man in the world? No, it's not. So don't no. have a question mark at the end of a sentence. Yes. I don't, uh, uh, name drop time. I interviewed Andy Marr once. At, oh, he's uh, Andy, is he? He's Andy to he you. Is, yeah. yeah. He opened, um, opened Cobbett's offices in Manchester, which is now Slater and Gordon. Yeah. And um, absolutely fascinating. It was on the day that Gordon Brown um, uh, had to step down as Prime Minister. I'll do a bit of name dropping as well. I interviewed um, cricketer um, Alastair Cook in the same offices no of uh, Slater and Brown. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Small yeah, world, uh, eh? It's not Slater and Brown, Slater and Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. Slater and Gordon, yeah. So, Chris, we're making some progress on improving your exposure to cultural references and exposing your, uh, your love of northern culture. I've got a few more suggestions from our growing fan base. First, though, central to any northern culture is the chippy. So what's your chippy tea go-to? Well, 
we, when I was the editor of the Chorley Leyland Guardian, we had a reporter called Natalie Banks. I hope you're listening, Natalie. And every Friday, she'll be excited. Um, she'll be excited at the best of times because Friday was Chippy Tea um, in Darwin, which is where she was from. Yeah. And I said, Chippy Tea? I said, what are you talking about? Oh. And she looked, That's what she, that was her response And did to she me. play you Chippy Tea by the Lancashire Hot Pot? She said to me, she, no, she didn't, she didn't. Uh, she, but she said to me, everyone knows what Chippy Tea is. So I'll be honest with you. I'm not a fish and chip type of person. I don't like fish for a start. And I don't <laughs> tend to go to chippies very often. But if you push me, Michael, if I had to have something on a Friday from a fish and chippy, it would be pasty and chips. Well, I tend to have fish and chips with either mushy peas and I've become a late convert. And this is a heresy for some people. Curry sauce, hot curry sauce on my chips. But I don't let it touch my fish. What the listeners, the dear listeners need to know is that I was minding my business on Friday and we've got a WhatsApp group and you sent me a video of yourself and you, you couldn't see the people I was, behind the I was setting up. I was setting you up for a joke, <laughs> and, and it's gone completely over well, your head. Well, listen, you should know me well enough to know that a lot of people... Uh, well, most jokes that you crack go over my head, but I think they go over most people's heads as well yeah, come because on. they're not funny enough. But, but let me take you back to this WhatsApp message. You had a picture of yourself, uh, a, a video of yourself in a fish and chip shop, and if my memory serves me correctly, you said to the person behind the counter, can I have some guacamole on that? And there was <laughs> laughter. Yeah. Okay, just explain what you were talking about. Okay, so the allegation is that my former colleague, Peter, or Lord Mandelson to you... Pick that name off the floor. Yeah, um, went into a chip shop in Hartlepool when he was running to be the Labour MP for Hartlepool in the North East, and he asked if he could have some guacamole on his fish and chips. The story is completely untrue. Apparently, the, the source of it, it was an American intern who was working with Jack Straw. But Neil Kinnock loved the story so much that he said um, that's probably what Peter would have done. And it's completely untrue. Yeah. There's no truth in it whatsoever. Yeah. And, and Peter, in fact, I've never had, I've never had a chippy tea with him, but so I, do I you can have, confirm that he... Uh, he do you have guacamole on your fish and chips? No, of course <laughs> I don't. I have, I have mushy peas. Right. I'm from Lancashire. Okay. And the, you've got to listen before the next one, and we've got some more cultural references okay. to shoehorn in. Okay. You've got to listen to a song by the band The Lancashire Hot Pots okay. called Chippy Tea. Okay, all right. That was a joke that went over my head, was it? No. Okay, I will listen to that. I'll make sure that by this time... Now, what other things should I be watching and listening? Right, so my, my, my other broadcasting partner, Neil Summers, was aghast that you, hadn't, um, <laughs> that you hadn't seen our friends in the North until I told you about it. He said, where has he been? In jail? But he suggested the walk-in. Angie yeah. Robinson, the former chief exec of Manchester Chamber, she suggested Dinner Ladies, starring my good friend Shobna Galati. Yeah, that's another name drop. Yeah. I mean, um, I, can barely move for na- I can barely move for name drop. She also suggested The Lakes and GBH. Yeah. Paul Kirkham, who's one of your pals on LinkedIn, says that you need to have an informed opinion on the Stone Roses second coming album. It's not my cup of tea, that, to be honest with you. I'm more of a Roy Orbison fan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Penny Arcade. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that is a really good obscure reference to a song that not a lot of people would have said you know I mean you've gone up in my estimation I mean I'll be honest the bar was quite low at the start with your knowledge of Roy Orbison but to say Penny Arcade is right up there okay right good yeah so you don't you don't rate the Stone Roses well I don't I'm not you live in the northwest of England that's not and my you have type no of, opinion on the it's Stone just, Roses it's just not my type of music okay I mean I'm wearing a shirt and tie you know you're wearing a sweatshirt I've come straight from the gym <laughs> 
Uh, well, that comes as no surprise either. Yeah, just one other cultural reference, yeah. seriously. Uh, uh, really sad news this week is that Robbie Coltrane died. Yeah. Now, a lot of people was, were saying that he was Hagrid in the Harry Potter films, which was am- you know, amazing. He made that absolutely that role his own. But it, for me, he'll always be Cracker, Jimmy McGovern's detective in the, uh, in the ITV series Cracker, which was filmed and shot and really, really based in Manchester. And it was one of the first drama series to touch on Hillsborough. And Robert Carlyle played um, a Hillsborough survivor who completely flipped. And uh, Cracker, played by criminal psychologist, um, what was he called? Fitz, wasn't it? Fitz, yeah, that's, yeah. How, that's how I remember Robbie Coltrane. So you Come like on. Cracker? I love Cracker. Oh, yeah. there's redemption for you. No, I love Cracker. Listen, so I will force myself to listen to some Stone Roses. Sorry, Stone Roses, because I know they're <laughs> listeners of the Northern Spin podcast. Um, but yeah, Robbie Coltrane, much missed, and uh, yeah, a giant of a man. And, uh, and, and you mentioned Carlisle. He, he made a really nice tribute on social media as well. Yeah, so, he did, uh, didn't he? Yeah, much yeah. missed. Well, that's all for episode six of Northern Spin. We're now also on Apple Podcasts, so please give us a five-star review and a written, you can do a written review on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks for all your comments, suggestions, tips, cultural things for Chris to get into as well to Im- improve his knowledge. And thank you as well to all the team at What Media for recording this podcast and giving us great support. To our sponsor, Chris. Yeah, to Oscar. Thanks, Oscar. Yeah, to Elliot Taylor for providing the music with his tracks track new beginnings which frankly wouldn't be out of place on the stone roses second coming album well i'm going to listen to that thanks to you this has been northern spin i'm michael taylor and my name is chris mcguire fan of stone roses